Late Night City, Beyond the Dark. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to speak to a man now called Mike Powell, who's got a book called I Saw Him Standing There. Hello, Mike. Hello, how are you, Peter? I'm well. I believe you've not long been back from New Zealand. That's right. I got back on Saturday after the uh, horrific experiences of the earthquake over there. Were you there in that yeah. particular area? Uh, 30 miles from the epicentre. So did you eight. get the, the shakes as well? Oh, more than that. Wow. virtually brought the house down I was in. Uh, it was horrible. But, uh, that must have been... I, mean, I hope you don't mind, but can we talk about that for a minute? Because that's really... Explain what was happening when it happened. We'd, uh, we'd done, uh, we'd, our friends had moved over a few years ago. Uh, we went out for a you know, holiday of a lifetime for three weeks, and uh, we were with them for a week. And on the Sunday night, um, went to bed, and five past 12 midnight, five past midnight, uh, there was this horrific shaking. And I said to my wife, what, what's that? I got up, and I was knocked down on the floor. And it was violent. The whole house was shaking and I heard uh, water running out and huge banging noises. I can't, I can't, it's very difficult to describe it, but in the pitch black, in, a, in an unknown place, yeah. no torch or anything, we managed to get out the house uh, and our friends and uh, we were in the car and we got up at five. We were awake all night because there was rumbling. This rumbling, by the way, went on for about two minutes. Doesn't sound a lot, but it's... Oh, I'm sure it was a lifetime, two minutes. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, so anyway, we got in the car five in the morning. We got out of first light, walked around, looked at the devastation, and uh, several houses in the area have been condemned. And this one, luckily, whilst there's a lot of damage, uh, just to give you an example, uh, a roll-top bath with the taps coming out the wall about a foot above the, the bath. The bath jumped up and knocked one of the taps. That's what flooded the house. And uh, knocked all the, the claws off the feet. It's just, it's just very difficult to come to terms with, and we were quite jittery, as you can imagine. So, what happened after it all had finished? Did you st- still stay on uh, for a couple of days? Or? Well, we we had to, we we were due on the Monday morning to go up to Nelson on the north of the uh, South Island and uh, and do some kayaking and, and walk the Abel Tasman track. But we couldn't leave our friends because it was just devastation. And we couldn't get out anyway. The roads were dropped both sides of Ward. Ward is south of Blenheim, and it's between Blenheim and Kaikoura where where Ward was. So so we couldn't get out if we wanted to for a few days anyway. So uh, there was no water, and helicopters were coming in and all sorts of things. But uh, uh, you had to experience it, and no one... so difficult, it's so difficult, but uh, it was, I'm just glad to be home and solid ground now. I'm so pleased with that. And how bad was their home? Uh, they they had the uh, the uh, government official round, and uh, the, whilst there's lots of things like the, uh, the, the boilers on the water and the electric was all out, the actual uh, post that the building's on, because it's a wooden building, yeah. and it's a yeah. concrete post, is okay, so they've given they've been given the go ahead. They have over in uh, New Zealand, they have like a, a system they pay into towards earthquakes. So someone has to come around and assess it. But uh, the damage was horrendous. I mean, as I say, just one that the the whole chimney stack came up and, and ruined the whole uh, lounge and the uh, the fire. And as I say, the the flooding and it was just horrendous. Wow, that's that's. Uh... That's another book, isn't it, really, mate? Yeah, yeah. 
Wow, that's well. Thank you for sharing that with us because that that really is quite amazing, and uh, I I can't. For one moment, the only thing I can say is that there was a very bad tremor years ago on the Wirral, and I always remember waking up, and goodness knows why, I thought there was a seagull under my bed. That's what I must have dreamt. But I went to the window, and every neighbour had come out. So that was a stupid little tremor that came from the Birmingham area, apparently. So I can't imagine what you went through. No, no, it was... uh... It was terrible, and uh, obviously we get all sorts of people, and our friends were, were trying to get hold of us, and there was no uh, no phones. They don't have landlines like we do over here. It's all digital. Yeah. That was all down, so uh, we managed to get through a couple of days later, but uh, we went away for a week, and then, as I say, we uh, we saw them. But I felt really sorry for them because it happened three years ago to them, and they just yeah. got the house ready yeah. and sorted after... The earthquake yeah. in Seddon three years ago. Absolutely horrendous. Well, thank goodness you're back safe yeah, and yeah, uh, yeah. and in time to tell us about the book. Right. Before I do, Pete, yeah. one thing you don't know, which is really amazing, when I was 18, uh, I lived in um, just off Breck Road in Amphill. We used to always go into town, me and uh, four or five of my friends, and we'd always go to the Shakespeare ah. going into town. <laughs> first time I saw you, I thought you were absolutely knockout and you had a, a white suit on with all the news. A newspaper that? suit. I've still yeah. got it and I look a prat in it. Oh, no, I'll tell you what. <laughs> you, well, you didn't, you didn't look. It was unusual then. I wasn't going to say you looked a prat in it then. But, <laughs> but you'd have the newspaper and you'd just tell all these guys. And that's that's exactly what I did. Every, yep. All the lads loved it and I thought it was mm. great. Anyway, that's what I remember. They were happy days for yeah, me. Yeah. Happy days. Yeah. Can you remember the top of the bill? Uh, I can't, no. no. I, I'm all I can remember, I'll be honest with you, because we used to drop in, have a couple of jars on the yeah. way into town, if yeah. you like. Yeah, you know, so, uh, there's one of stop-off places. But I, we always remember you telling these gags, and they were just one after the other, and it was yeah. great. That's you? great. Well, it's interesting we're going to talk about this book and John Lennon, because yeah. George Harrison, the other day, 15 years since he was left us. I know. 15th anniversary. So tell us about the book. Uh, well, the, this book has come about from uh, from my experiences that, that go back way back to um, November 1992, many many years in the making, and uh, I've I've sort of wrote it a few years ago and then changed it a bit and put things, but it's been fluid fluid for all that time. But now I've finally got what I wanted to do and tell the people exactly what happened to me, my experiences, and going through. Uh, amongst the things that through John Lennon has given me 350 songs, 42 sightings of him, and over 50 amazing coincidences. Now, you say sightings. Can you explain that? Because I'm sure people are sitting back going, what? Right, Okay. Uh, I was in a traumatic period of my life in 1992, uh, and uh, I asked for help. Very simple. I went to Stanley Park Cemetery where my mum and dad's ashes were scattered and said, please help me. Uh, my, my, my wife, uh, was, um, she was having an affair, let's put it that way. I had two young kids, so I moved over to North Wales. And uh, I asked for help because I knew everything was, I was losing her hand. I still didn't know what to do. So I, asked, I stood at the graveside and said, mum and dad, if you can hear me. Please help me. It's as if I've got everything to give and I'm losing everything. Then, strangely enough, I went to the Anglican Cathedral, which 
last time I went into church was Sunday school in uh, Lyle Street when I was when I was about ten, and I found myself walking up to the altar, and that that to the altar it's about a quarter of a mile, and I walked the whole length in front of that gold cross, and I just sat there quite sad, and I said, "Please God, uh, you'll know if you're there, you'll know my situation. It's as if I've got everything to give, and I'm losing everything. Please help me." That was it. Went home, and nothing. One week later, I wake up and uh, see someone standing at the end of my bed. And uh, it's very strange, but what happened, I thought I was dreaming and sat bolt upright, rubbed my eyes. The man was still there, motionless, but staring intently at me. I was petrified. Uh, I turned over and tried to hide under the pillow. I thought I'd gone mad. And maybe I'd just imagined it. But curiously, I had to look back again. And what I saw led me to believe that this man needed my help. There appeared to be a crowd. This is what I saw. There appeared to be a crowd of people taking him away against his will. Much the same as if you uh, 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 leaving time after a football game, particularly at Anfield, you, you, you're taken with the crowd. And he was swept away with this crowd, and he was the only one facing me. He appeared to be standing with his neck outstretched. He wanted my help. And that moment I saw that, uh, I lost any fear I'd had. We we seemed to be uh, focused intently on each other's eyes, uh, with me trying to find a way how I could help him. I felt helpless, and, and from being completely scared and terrified to being to seeing this, the look on this guy's face, thinking, he wants my help, I don't know what to do. Then it seemed, in an instant, a complete song was transferred to me, like a music download, all complete, just like a song you'd hear on the radio, words and music together. It's very difficult for people to take to take this on board, but that's the only way I can say it. Um, uh, anyway, this person was John Lennon. Now, I was never a fan. Now, whether he knew that and thought, this is an ordinary guy who's asked for help, I don't know. I don't know, Pete. Things are so strange in this life. But he, uh, over the years, he's come to me, as I say, 42 times. And, uh, you know. Why do you think he's come to you? Well, I I think, uh, if if I'm honest with you, I was not a musician. Uh, So you're not a musician? No, no, I was never a musician. I was never into music. Uh, But what he gave me, uh, what I did, I, I went to see musicians and said, to, I found musicians and thought someone's going to have to sing this. And musician want, musicians want to change things and couldn't understand how an untrained non-music person could come up with catchy lyrics and tunes. And very quickly, people started saying, Mike, you should be singing this. And that's eventually what I did. But I think he came to me for that very reason that he thought, this guy is a non-musician and he's, he's going to stay the course, which I have, and he won't change things and I've not changed anything. On this music, this is how it's come to me. It's very difficult, Pete. If you, you wake up in the morning and you hear one brand new song, I swear you, you'd never be able to, word for word, lyric, line for line, be able to do it. But that's what I've done in over these 300 and odd songs. I've got to ask you now, and it's yeah. the only negative question you'll get off me, but I've got to ask, right. what do you say to people that say you're mad? Um, 
Well, I'll say two things. I said uh, when I was on GMTV a few years ago with Eamon Holmes and Lorraine Kelly, and she said, uh, were you not embarrassed, you know, with people looking in, think that, you you know, you've imagined it or you're mad? And I said, well, two things. The first thing, I'm a very ordinary Liverpool lad. I've not changed one iota since I was kicking that ball around Lyle Street when I was six or seven. Uh, I'm an ordinary guy, and where have all these songs come from? Now, uh, th- that that's the only thing. I'll, I'll stand or fall by this music uh, that, that people will listen to and say, oh, <laughs> where's this come from? And as I say, there have been very influential music producers that have said this stuff is really very good indeed. And uh, that's the uh, that's the thing I can say to people. Uh, but it's all, all, I'll stand or fall by this music. And it's not... It's not a get-rich-quick scheme or, you know, why are you doing it? Because I wouldn't still be doing it now uh, at my tender age after all these years. But John came to me because I believe he thought this guy can do it and he'll last the course. And that's what I'm going to do. And so people finally sit up and listen and go, could this be possible? And as I say, along the way, Pete, there's been a lot of ups and downs where people have been saying, well, you know, you can imagine I've been trying and trying and some, some people, but every now and then there's yeah. been like a, a white pebble showing me the way in, in such a coincidence. Let me ask you a question. Yeah. What What is the book then about? Uh, the book is about, uh, in, in total detail, of how um, he come to me on, on individual sightings. The first one was It Was You. Uh, which is uh, that's, that 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 was the very first one, uh, and it's about all the people that I've met, like Yuri Geller. He was on the uh, GMTV uh, sofa with me, and he phoned me that night and said, uh, "I want to manage you. I want everything in reverse, which is one of the songs. I want it for my movie." And he said, "There's a synchronicity going on because he'd phoned Yoko the night before and asked if he could have." Uh, if he could use Imagine for his film. She said no, and anyway, he wanted to use everything in reverse, and uh, that, that, that got me involved with another guy that you may or may not know, Ronan O'Reilly. No. He, he started Radio Caroline. All right. Founder of Radio Caroline. <coughs> he came along the same time, because after being on GMTV, had all sorts of people phoning me. So that's that's mentioned in the book. Um uh, and uh, I did uh, I did lots of songs with him, and uh, interestingly, he told me loads of stories about different people he, who he'd managed, including the Stones and um, Alexis Corner and uh, the Blockheads, Georgie Fame, and that went on. And so from him, um, mentioning about him and uh, some of the tracks I'd done around the time there, everything in reverse, Love and Peace would be a fitting one to play because with John Lennon's sad anniversary coming up, that's what John was all about. He wanted me to get this message across of love and peace. Why, why did you feel the need to write the book? Um, only because uh, it, it's, it's, if, if I'm talking to you now, if you think, right, OK, he's mad or he's not mad, let's listen to this stuff, it could happen. But there's not enough detail, there's never enough time because I could talk to you for three days solid and you might get start getting some of these angles, whereas the book says it all. I'm happy with what the book says at the moment, you know, with uh, 
with everything in. So it, it goes on about the uh, the coincidences. I'll give you an example of a coincidence because leading me the way, how how I've stayed the course, if you like. Uh, one of them was uh, a few years ago. I was I started. You said about the book and it's to explain to people. Now, uh, a few years ago, I thought, well, rather than try and explain it, if I try and paint the image, which is what I tried to do. Now, the last time I painted was when I was at Anfield Comp School when I was 16. That was the last time I picked a pen or paper or brush up. Anyway, I started painting these images so people could look at them. And that's what uh, that's what I did, and uh, it went into Ripley, believe it or not, in London. After, again, I've done probably 32 of these paintings, but one of them. The, 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 I'm coming on to this story about the easel. I was at a car boot sale in North Wales about uh, 12 years ago, and the little easel I had kept falling over. I was painting on this three foot by two foot canvases. Anyway, there was one in this car boot sale, a big studio one, which is very expensive normally, but this was a real old one. I managed to buy it off this guy, and he said, oh, you'll want this. And he gave me uh, an A4 framed certificate of provenance, stating that it undoubtedly, it was used, uh, come from the Liverpool College of Art, and undoubtedly John Lennon had painted on this easel many, many times, and it was one of his best friends who had uh, done stuff before. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it did state in this uh, provenance, this, by the way, is in the book, all of this, and, and even the photograph of the provenance, because what beggars belief is John Lennon went in the le- lettering and graphics department. Now, this guy, his mate, said quite stupidly went into le- lettering and graphics. My father went into the lettering and graphics department of the Liverpool College of uh, Art, and he became Liverpool's foremost sign writer. In fact, Pete, he, uh, he did, a, you might remember, in the 70s, all the Radio City cars with the square logo. My dad signed wrote, ah, right. he signed wrote all yeah. those, as well as the Liverpool Football Club. He did all of that, and Camelards, and you name it. But uh, So that easel belonged to, uh, that John had painted on it, and probably my dad had as well before his time. But anyway, that, that's, that's just one yeah. example, and I bought that, and... When you wrote the book, yeah. had you got an agent in place or did no. you just write the book and then went looking for somebody? No, I didn't have an agent in place. No, I didn't. I, uh, I sent it to a couple of people who were, who were very interested, but it's very difficult. There's some people are getting hundreds of books every couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. In, and so it wasn't in a finished format. I got someone to help me with that. And uh, that, that's, uh, that's how it's come to be now. What do you want people to take from the book? What do you want? Uh, I want I want people to look at it and have and try if they can to have an open mind and try and because um, things there are things happening on heaven and earth that no one knows about and all the, I, what's happened to me is extraordinary and I want a lot of people to read it with an open mind and and if possible listen to the music obviously the CD uh, that that's out is um, uh, would be great if they could. Uh, it's called it happened to me and that's on any of the uh, download stores or you know amazon and all that stuff like the book is all they've got to do is just uh, google in um, mike powell so i'm standing there it happened to me and these both all come up also uh, i've got a website that's uh, just called uh, 
www.powellthepeople.com. Uh, it's on there, and they, they can have a look. But that's what I want. I want John wants this is this music all out all around the world. And if someone listens to some of this stuff, uh, incidentally, the other thing I didn't say to you is that uh, I was told very early on to get sworn affidavits from everyone from what I'd grown up with, even to my ex-wife, stating I'd never done anything musical or written or poetry prior to November 1992. So I've got 15 or 20 of those things sworn affidavits. Why do you think you? Why you? Why didn't he come to his um, wife? Um, well, I think because I'm not affected. Uh, I think a lot of musicians, as I said to you at the outset, Pete, a lot of musicians, they go, oh, that's great. And they'll put their, they'll put their little thing on it. They'll change it a bit. Uh, and I think he came to me because I, I was not in a position to say, well, oh, I don't think we should do that. I just took it down word for word verbatim. And, and that's why he came to me. And he, he, anyone else, if you give it to a musician, I mean, you give any song to any musician, it's, oh, I had to put this in, I had to done that. I know, I've had this, there's been over 30 odd musicians, and without doubt, there's always, oh, could we do this and could we do that? When I said there's a song uh, with, uh, I don't know, eight and 12 and 14 beats to the bar, and they said, you can't do that, that's ridiculous. And I did it, and they go, wow, how on earth did you do that? And I don't know, I'm just, so, so that's the thing. But so much so, the last person that um, took me in the studio in Abbey Road was Gordon Lorenz. Now, he's in the Guinness Book of Records as being the most prolific music producer in the world. He produced over 880 albums. He listened to the stuff and uh, he said he gets three or four CDs a week and he listens to five seconds and throws them in the bin. And he said, but every one of yours, without exception, is very good and I'm interested. And he said, we'll get you in Abbey Road. And that's what he did. And I went into studio too with a string quartet that brought tears to my eyes with one of the songs called Listen. And uh, Gordon did a fantastic job on him. And uh, there's another song uh, he produced called America. And uh, on both of these, he said, he, and he said on camera, because there's a film crew there, he said, I believe these two songs are going to become standards. Now, that's, that's all I can tell you, Pete, uh, you know. What are you doing now? And what do Beatles fans think about this? Do they believe you? Uh, Beatles, Beatles fans think it's very Beatle-like. It's very scary. Some of them, the Yoko, I love you. Some people say it's fantastic and it's definitely John, but why are you singing it? Well, he can't sing it. And so a lot of people, uh, like the It Was You, it's very, very early on. The Everything in Reverse is sort of mad. It's, it's, it's a whole range. And as I say, the, the, this is just touching the surface of the, the total amount of them that uh, I've done. But most people, most Beatle people think it's fantastic. The album's out? The book's out? Yeah, yeah, they're both out now and uh, if, you, if you can go online and just uh, if you just key in, I saw him standing there or it happened to me, Mike Powell it'll come up on uh, yeah. Google or, or on the website. Mike, when was the last time he came to you? It was 2010. So why hasn't he been to you again? I don't know, I don't know. I, Does uh, it upset you he hasn't? 
No, no, I'm not. I, it's to be honest. The first time he came to me, uh, I didn't have a pen and paper by the side of my bed because I didn't know it was going to happen. But after that, I, I never go to bed without a pen and paper by my side because you never know mm. if he comes or not. And, and then I don't want to miss anything, so I write it all down. But I didn't. I didn't know whether he was going yeah. to come on that after the first one but uh have you questioned your own sanity have you been to see a doctor has it uh, bothered you that way uh um no i haven't because i haven't changed i'm the same guy don't forget I'm didn't not, it frighten you then it was terrifying at the time but oh. it's, uh, what uh, what what surpassed that now is this incredible humbling experience i've experienced something that i'm pretty confident no one else on this earth has experienced there's loads of things which stays in the book that, uh, and there are more things to heaven and earth than, than we'll ever know uh, and it's one of those things it's not if it was my sanity I think I, I wouldn't be uh, the ordinary person I am and I just I haven't changed and I'm not as I say when this happened I wasn't 18 or something trying to jump on a bandwagon mm-hmm. I'm 38 I'm 61 now I've done, uh, last month, I did uh, uh, an Ironman triathlon. So you can imagine I'm reasonably fit. Uh, I've, I've got a, a normal job, and, uh, you know, I do I'm, I do normal things. I'm just an ordinary person, that, and it's something extraordinary that's happened to Are you pleased with the book? I am, yeah. I am pleased with it because it's a statement of fact that, that that's happened to me, that people go, well, you look at the coincidence, you add the things up, you look at the coincidences, does the name Chris Wharton uh, ring a bell with you? No. No, okay. Well, Billy Butler would, no doubt. But, uh, well, he's a music genius. I'm not. Yeah. I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a, a talk show host with music as an interruption. No, no. I, uh, <laughs> they, they, uh, they both owned the Mardi Gras years ago. Right. And, uh, one of the, the first That's where I first saw Billy Butler as a DJ. Oh, first time I saw him work, the Mardi Flipping, uh, well, no, Chris Wharton, this is in the, the coincidence in the book. He's the first guy mm. I bump into in Christmas. And I didn't know anything about him. Oh, it, it, it's in the book, but he, he ends mm. up getting me to see Billy Kinsey and um, Tony Crane at the Mersey Beach. And yeah. Did, I've, got, I've got to ask you one more question because yeah. I've got to go because we're okay. short of time, which is a pain. Yeah. And we'll speak again. But I've got to ask, did you ever meet John? No, no, no. Does that upset you? Never met him. Um, not really, no, because I was never a fan. Uh, <laughs> so he's come to somebody who's not even a fan. Yeah. Oh wow. Yeah. No, no, I was You know, no, I wasn't. So, uh, having seen him all these times now, it's uh, it's just like, oh, yeah. here we go, and you know. But as I say, the last time was uh, a while ago. But um, what seems to have happened now? It's been a fair few years, but uh, I've got. Uh, Mike Powell, I could talk to you all night. You're fascinating. The book's called I Saw Him Standing There. Mike Powell, thank you for joining me.